This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode of Keeping Carlson is sponsored in part by FanDuel. Hockey's back, which means daily fantasy hockey on FanDuel. FanDuel has something for everyone, including new contests every day starting at just $1. And now you can take on Elon and I in our brand new Keeping Carlson Listener League. Our contests open each Wednesday and run each Thursday beginning this week. Check out FanDuel.com slash K-A-R-L for all the details. See you there. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 hoj här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes! Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for like, it's like the night before, I don't know, Christmas, a party. We're so close. We're right on the, the precipice of a brand new NHL season with all new data points. Forget the games. We're just going to have new numbers to look at, which is so exciting. By the way, speaking of party, keepingcarlson.com slash party. We're having one in Toronto, season five launch, October 14th at Watson's. Go to that site I just said and uh, count yourself RSVP so we can make sure that if we have any swag, we have enough for everybody. Wink, wink. Ooh, little tease there. Yeah, keepingcarls.com slash party. We'll take you to the Facebook event. Yeah, join us October 14th. It'll be fun. Okay, so I know last episode I teased that we would be broadcasting our live tier one cupful auction, the Keeping Carls also Patreon League auction draft, and that would be an episode. So we did record the auction draft last Saturday at 1 p.m. It was a lot of fun. And though it was kind of like a bit crazy, like a, a few things happened that we weren't expecting, such as a couple of people not showing up for the auction. Or I guess one person didn't show up. And so you, the audio has a lot of us scrambling and trying to find someone to take their place. And someone else had internet issues. At one point, our amazing guest, Jeff Good, his internet went down. And so I was just rambling for a bit. So we decided maybe that wouldn't be good for a proper episode of the show. But if you want to listen to the audio of the live draft, you still can. Keepingcarlson.com slash live draft. Or if you want to uh, follow along with the results and or, I should say, or just see the results of the auction draft, check out keepingcarlson.com slash draft results. So once again, keepingcarlson.com slash live draft 
to listen to the audio, keepincarlson.com slash draft results to see the results. We'll post them in the show notes for the show. So if you're on your phone or on our website, just scroll down. You'll see those links. But anyways, Brian, we decided we're going to give a real normal episode here right before the season. There's quite a lot to talk about. There's a lot that's happened in the preseason. You weren't even here for the last episode. We had that awesome interview with Dom Luchichin talking about his projection spreadsheet. So I think it's time we cover some of the latest and greatest news right before we get into the actual season next week. Brian, before we start, maybe let's set the table a little bit. We still don't know. Like, we're going to talk about a lot of, like, line combinations and injury news and all this stuff. But it's like, we don't even really know the line combinations, right? Like, you know, we're looking at what was the last line at the last practice or, like, what was what were they going with in the last preseason game? And we'll try to speculate, you know, what this could mean for the players if they stay on those lines. But keep in mind, take everything we say with a grain of salt because, you know, we'll find out the real line combinations to start the season on Wednesday. And that's when we'll be able to start actually being able to really pinpoint which players we should go for. So this episode is going to be more about who you should maybe keep your eye on. Yeah, you're going to notice this episode is a little different. I'm not going to quote one number from the preseason. It's not just going to happen. So if you want those shot attempt numbers or IPP or or whatever you want crunched that you normally get in the regular season, it's not happening. And that's, that's meaningful. Like th- there's purpose behind that because if you're making any decisions based on preseason performance, well, I mean, you, you could be on the right track, but there's so many red herrings that we're just not going to go there. What we see in the preseason that's the most relevant, especially now that it's over and looking at the last one or two games after final cuts have been made, is to see what the lines looks like for the last time before opening night, which is really where we're going to be focusing on. We're going to be looking heavily at deployment situations rather than any of those, what I think are mostly meaningless numbers that did come out through preseason play. Right. So you're saying that just because Connor McDavid led all of preseason scoring, that doesn't mean he's going to lead the preseason scoring in the regular season. Noted. I might bring up a couple numbers along the way, just just to piss you off. Okay, but let's start actually with a big free agent signing today. It finally happened. Yarmir Yager has a home. He signed with the Calgary Flames. There were so many rumors when Robbie Fabry went down with injury, which we'll get to in a little bit. There was a lot of rumors that Yager would go to St. Louis. And everyone was speculating, oh man, what if he's on the top power play, top line with Tarasenko? But no, he goes to Calgary. And you know what? That is a good spot for him. You would think just looking at their roster, like the roster they were going with in their preseason games, they had Goudreau and Monaghan with Michael Furland as the third piece and like Michael Furland doesn't scream top liner so why not bring in Yarmir Yager and see what he could do sure he's 45 years old but he last year had 46 points in 82 games you know maybe not especially fantasy relevant but definitely nothing to sneeze at year before 66 points in 79 games so he's shown that in the right situation he can definitely still produce and I feel like if he gets on the top line in the top power play with Goudreau and Monaghan, that seems like a pretty good right situation. But of course, the question is, will he get there? And Brian, do you think if he gets there, is he fantasy relevant? Should people be rushing to pick him up for free agency right now? If he gets there, he's probably... Or did you have more to say? Sorry, I did have more to say. And also, I should mention, we're not planning on editing this episode because it's just a chill Monday night episode. So you're going to hear all of our flubs just like that one. I was just going to say that... Um, also, maybe if you haven't drafted yet, is he worth a late round draft pick? <laughs> Please tell me you'll edit that part out. No, go. Uh, okay. Well, is he worth a late round? Okay, well, the questions are related that you just asked. I probably would have gotten to that answer even if you hadn't added it in. Yager is probably worth about as much as he was, I don't know, around the second half of last season. 
when he was more or less a guy who would be at the top of a free agent pile in some like middling depth leagues and really not even considered in shallow leagues. Even with good deployment last year, he had really slowed down. I'm hoping that he can make himself somewhat worthwhile. The problem last year was that he was pretty inconsistent, even with shot taking. Like you never knew if you were going to get zero shots or two shots. A lot of the the speculation right now is, is Yager someone who can step into Hoodler's spot to reunite Gojiro and Monaghan back on the kid line? And I'd say the answer is probably not, or at least not in the same way. Yager doesn't have Hoodler's playing style exactly. Uh, He's not as speedy as he might need to be to keep up with those two. But maybe he still has some craftiness left that'll help him open up some offensive opportunities for them the way Yuri Hoodler was also able to. Uh, But for now, to start the year, I'm still mostly seeing the expectation that Michael Furland holds on to his spot. Maybe the most anonymous first liner in the league, Michael Furland. uh, He had that spot last season. Actually, he and Alex Chieson were the most common line mates when Gaudreau and Monaghan played together, which, remember, wasn't even a given for swaths of the year, especially as they struggled early on. They got split up. Anyway, going back to Yager, seems like a middle six guy at worst, which really doesn't offer much fantasy relevance. So saying at worst doesn't (laughs) emphasize a point too much. He does have upside to take turns on the top line, uh, but he's not that fantasy relevant. If he's not on the top line, not on the top power play, as fun as it would be to own Yaramir Yager, I'm definitely in a wait and see position on him. I'd rather have, like we have some of these rookies coming up who have the opportunity to make a splash. I'd rather take a gamble on them than, you know, hope for 45 points from Yager. Yeah, that makes sense. So we'll get to a lot of these guys later on. Maybe I could play a little, would you rather have this guy or Yager as we go? But yeah, like I agree. Like considering he was playing with Barkov and Huberdeau and didn't have the greatest season last year, those are really good players. Though I guess there were injuries and Huberdeau was out and Marsh so was there. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, Yager is getting up there in age, but in the right situation, you know, if you want to take a flyer on him, it wouldn't be the worst decision you could make. Just be ready to drop him quickly if, like you say, he's not on the top line. Okay, some more news. This is probably not... Too big a deal, but apparently Ghost Bear went down with an upper body injury in the last uh, Philly preseason game. So at first, people were like starting to freak out. You know, there was no word on how bad the injury was. And I, obviously, people were thinking, oh, now you definitely need to draft Provorov even higher than where you would have before, since now that looks like that would be a prime spot for Provorov to jump in on the top power play. Ghost Bear did travel to their first game in San Jose. So probably he's going to be fine. Maybe if he doesn't play in that game, he'll play a little later. But just wanted to let people know that maybe Provorov will get a chance on the top power play. If, let's say, Ghost Bear misses even just a couple of weeks, it'll be nice to see what Provorov could do in that situation. I wonder if he could steal the job, just like Ghost Bear did from Mark Strait when he got injured all those years ago, two years ago. <laughs> yeah, although, it, I mean, it feels like it's been an eternity since Mark Strait was quarterbacking the Philly power play. That was a different situation, though. Strait was probably declining, even if I refused to admit it at the time. And looking at the fact that Ghost traveled, maybe he's fine, or at least he's fine enough to give it a shot. Don't know. Not going to speculate too heavily. I'm just going to say, as far as Provorov taking his spot, I think there's always a chance, but it's really Ghost's job to lose, uh, which he did, by the way, briefly last season. So, like, it's not entirely out of the question, but let's just say I'm more a Ghost bull than Ghost bear about his chances to improve on last year's disappointments. Did you just come up with that, like, in the past hour? Yes. That's very impressive. Okay. But keep in mind, though, 
it like if you're in a bangers and mash league that's counting your hits and blocks Provorov is someone you want to draft because he helps you in those peripheral categories he's going to be pretty decent on offense even if he doesn't get on the top power play and there's that little chance so i do think Provorov does you know i like the idea that he gets a chance to show what he could do on the top power play even if it won't last for that long okay let's go to another injury news that's probably not but patrick eaves has a lower body injury he missed most of the preseason but word is he could still play the season opener but i've noticed that he hasn't been drafted in a lot of leagues he wasn't drafted in my cupful league and or i guess i drafted or i got him in the auction like really late i think and then brian in our joint league that we drafted for yesterday i had two drafts yesterday by the way that's that was another reason why we couldn't do a regular episode on sunday night yeah in our other league brian he wasn't added at all he's still a free agent i feel like because people saw he's injured you know patrick eaves we all know he's always injured don't even grab him but like don't forget last year he had 51 points overall and totally scorched at the end of the year once he got to anaheim after the trade deadline if he's injured and available in your league like regardless of if he's injured or not if he's injured grab him stash him in ir if he's gonna play i'd say grab him he's probably gonna be on the top line with Getzlaff, maybe even Corey perry on that line or who knows i would rather take a chance on patrick eaves and then if it doesn't work out whatever you could drop him but i think it's gonna work out based on what happened last year obviously who knows about his health and how long he'll last don't put big stock in him st- sticking on your roster all year long but i would definitely grab him right now if he's available in free agency yeah especially at the price that he's likely available at, which is free, you might be married to some of your later round picks right now, thinking that they're the swings you took. And I get that. But Patrick Eves should be at the top of your watch list if he is a free agent. Last I read, he was probable for opening night. And we've detailed his injury history in the past, which is definitely not good. He's had a real hard time staying healthy, even while playing depth roles where where you wouldn't even notice if he goes missing. There's when those edit points start to anyone. Anyway, uh, if Eves can stay healthy, I still see him playing the same increased minutes that he got last year and led him to a career season. I see him still getting play on the power play, and those together should help him get into 50-point territory. A lot of naysayers being like, Patrick Eves, he never did it before. Why would he do it again? They're not looking at his ice time. He had like six more minutes on average last year than he ever has. And that's just off the top of my head. You can go check the numbers over at Hockey Reference just to verify. I grabbed him for a buck late in my cupful auction draft. Feel really good about it. You can feel good about Patrick Eves too if you have him on your team to start the year. Yeah, I think so. Who knows? Maybe this will blow up in our face. I, I did check. I also got him for a buck. Brian, we have a few things in common in our cupful auction teams. I guess we're coming from the same place. You have Taylor Hall. I have Taylor Hall. Look at us. Also, it's worth, it's worth mentioning that I drafted first, so you're the copycat. I guess so. That's true. We also drafted Taylor Hall in our joint league. It's not like I went into this weekend thinking I'm in love with Taylor Hall, but just happened. I don't even know. We had a really tough decision, by the way. We were deciding between Taylor Hall or Jake Gensel at that pick. I thought maybe because we're drafting with kind of like not the smart. No, I shouldn't say not the smartest, but like not the most hardcore uh, hockey fan. So I thought maybe we could even wait on Gensel and get him the next round. Now I'm starting to wonder if maybe we made a mistake or maybe not. We'll get to Gensel actually a little bit. Uh, I'm rambling. Let's go to the next uh, like injury news, I guess. So Robbie Fabry is out for the season. It's really sad. Like, you know, he had that really nice rookie year and a strong playoffs. And everyone was really excited to see what he could do last year. And then he got injured. Now he's like, I guess he came back to preseason and like sad for him. I feel bad, like beyond fantasy. Obviously, it's really sad news for Robbie Fabry, who just wants to get his career going. Uh, but anyways, 
Looking past that, on St. Louis, he's out for the season. Alex Steen is out for three weeks. He was probably going to hold a top six spot. I'm wondering, Brian, is there anyone that people should be targeting on St. Louis now that there are some openings? The most recent line combos I've seen for St. Louis, and again, take these with a grain of salt, but I've seen Schwartz, Stasny, Tarasenko as line one, and then Sabatka, Shen, and Yaskin for line two. So, I mean, I guess that's, first of all, not great for Shen. People who drafted him thinking he was going to be a lock to center Vladimir Tarasenko didn't happen in the preseason. Maybe it could happen in the season. But yeah, I don't know about that. And also Sabatka and Yaskin playing with Shen. Does that make them fantasy relevant? Because I wasn't expecting to be adding Sabatka or Yaskin to any of my lineups during the season. What a bummer for Robbie Fabry to be injured before the season. This isn't the first time his exciting potential and like, let's see what this guy can do, has been derailed by injury. I don't know if he's a Band-Aid boy yet. Not really, but maybe injuries might not be totally related. And this situation seems like the St. Louis doctors might have messed it up a bit. I don't know if it could have been better, but it sure sounds in the aftermath like they didn't handle it the best way they could have. But let's get back to the healthy forwards. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's not a lot to love in St. Louis in the top six or, well, top 12 outside of Schwartz and Tarasenko. You have Stasny and Shen, who are both reliable in support roles. Maybe that's not giving them enough credit, but I'm not thinking of explosive upside coming from either of them, especially with Shen, like you said, Elon, not playing with Schwartz or Tarasenko. So the door is now open for Sabatka and Yaskin to come through on previously hoped for, but as of yet unrealized fantasy potential. Yaskin's the guy that we thought about before and put out there as someone, if only he got his turn in the top six, he could really make an impression. That happened a couple times, not anything lengthy, but he didn't do much with it. And then Sabatka, he's the one who has seen the most recent success. He had six points, remember, in 11 playoff games after returning from three years of self-imposed NHL exile. And I remember at the time in our playoff, you were like, oh, wow, Sabatka, should we be, what should we be thinking of this guy? I still don't think a whole lot, especially, again, like if he's on the second line, there's just not a whole lot to work with if you're not playing with Schwartz and Tarasenko together. I can't believe I'm saying this. I know you said he's injured, Elon, for three weeks, but it's not the whole season. Uh, Maybe think about stashing (laughs) Alex Steen. What? Like, I can't, it's, it's betraying myself to say this. I thought you hate him. I do. I really hate him. But the Blues are going to need scoring help. I don't hate him as a person. I hate him as a guy on my fantasy team, just to be clear. I don't know him as a person. Maybe I'd hate him. Anyway, (laughs) uh, the Blues are going to need the scoring help. I feel like they might rather say, hey, Alex, can you do that thing where you shoot pucks towards the goalie again? The thing you stopped doing because you found your defensively responsible ways somewhere last year. Well, we don't need that right now. We need some shots on net. We need some goals. Give it a go. Sort of hoping that he gets tasked with some of this offense, in which case he could be like a somewhat useful fantasy ad. Elon, if you're trying to, if you're asking me any of these guys or Yaramir Yager, I feel like Steen, I don't know. It sounds like a disservice to Yager. I'm just hopeful. I'm hopeful. Like Steen just disappeared, right? He decided to change his game. It wasn't working and reset all the things that we've liked about him. Not that he was doing that well before that, but he had a really good start to the season. This is what I'm saying. Obviously, I'm struggling with it as I cannot end the sentence in a way that I'm comfortable with. 
Honestly, Brian, like Alex Dean had a bit of a bad run last year at one point, but then he also went on a really good run and you just kept on saying, no, it's not going to continue. It's not going to continue. And then I guess you were right. Like he slowed down again, but overall he had 51 points in 76 games. Like it wasn't like he yeah. had the most horrible season. And the year before that, he had 52 points in 67 games. He has trouble staying healthy, but you know, he's been around a 55 to 60 point pace player still. I would definitely take Steen over Yager. Yeah, one of the one of the disappointing things about him though was the shots dried up. So yeah, he did have some good runs, but he was not, he wasn't shooting like his value to me or what I spent in last year's couple auction for him was for his shots on goal that didn't come. But you're right, still capable of runs, and this is why I'm saying it. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic, uh, in spite of myself. Alex Steen, when he's healthy, could need to be an impact player. He should be being paid like one by St. Louis, so it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for for the team to ask him to act like one again. All right. Well, and anyways, if you could stash him for free, then why not? Throw him in your IR, and then you could maybe keep him there. I love that. Brian hates that strategy, but I love that strategy. I mean, if you could do it, obviously there's a difference between whether it should be allowed and whether it's a smart thing to do. But if your league allows you to keep a player in IR and sort of give them a little tryout before you decide whether or not to drop someone to bring them onto your roster, why not take dibs? I don't hate that strategy. It's a great strategy. I, I hate when it's taken advantage of. But again, if you can in your league be the guy who takes advantage of it, then might as well. Yeah, okay. I'm, one, I'm the one who suggested it. I said Stash Steen. Good. Okay. At some point in this episode, I'm going to get you to admit that you hate something or someone. That's my goal. <laughs> okay. Next uh, piece of news. This was a surprising tidbit out of preseason. Jesse Pugliarvi, who people got really excited about as he was skating with McDavid. I think we even talked about him last week with Dom. He got sent to the minors. Oh, well, maybe he won't be there for long. And I guess the interesting thing is that Kyler Yamamoto made the team, the guy who just got drafted, that I remember when I did my episode with either Cam or Peter Harling, like after the draft, I think it was Cam Robinson, but he was saying, don't expect anyone outside of Hishir and Patrick, like maybe like some other person that we won't expect in the first round to make the team. But like he said, he didn't expect Yamamoto to make the team. And look at that. He makes it. He was spending some time in the preseason on the Connor McDavid line. I think at the end, like the most recent line combos we've been seeing is Yamamoto on the second line with Lucic and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and then Dreisaitl and McDavid. So, you know, lumping the two big stars together along with Pat Maroon as the top line. So first of all, that's kind of exciting for Pat Maroon, of course, if he's playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl, that's good. And if you're in a hits league, you probably definitely want to have Pat Maroon as a late pick if you can get him. But also Yamamoto in the top six is pretty interesting. And then the final thing is Ryan Strom, who I think a lot of people were excited about. He actually went for a decent amount in my couple auction draft yesterday. I wonder if the person who bought him is kind of regretting that because he was on a line most recently with Kajula and you see Jokinen in the bottom six. So eh, I don't know about that. I want to know, Brian, what do you think about Yamamoto? Is he going to stick with the team? Is he someone that people should be rushing to grab? I'm actually going to start with Pugliarvi. If you have a non-active spot in your league for players in the minors that you can stash without using a normal roster spot, or if your rosters are deep enough to handle like a, a, a prospect system or just a little bit of dead weight on your roster, I think you might as well take the gamble that Pugliarvi is going to be back in the NHL at some point this year. And then you can see what he can do for your roster once he gets there. Have to think it'll happen eventually. He scored near a 60-point pace in half a season with Bakersfield of the AHL last year. And so when there is opportunity in Edmonton, and there should be, I expect him to be back in the mix. But yeah, going back to Yamamoto, I am excited for him. I do admittedly have a soft spot for undersized speedy wingers. And as a high-paced five foot eight 
That's what he's listed as. 154-pound skater. That would be really small. Uh, he certainly fits the bill. There's, of course, still a fair chance that Yamamoto does not stick in the NHL. But if he does, it'll be because what he's doing is working. That sounds like a ridiculous statement to make. I guess I'm just saying it's possible. And if he is in the NHL all season long, it's probably because he's scoring, because something's working. And if that's the case, his name could sneak in to the Calder conversation, IMHO. Yeah, I feel like Yamamoto is one of these guys where if you want to take a flyer on him, for sure, go for it. But don't like drop someone that you drafted that you expected to be a solid person on your team for the whole year for a lottery ticket in Yamamoto. This is like for a streaming spot. We're going to name a whole bunch of these rookies. We're going to get to a section really soon of the podcast where I'm just going to tell you a whole bunch of rookies who are looking like they're going to be on their team's top line. And you could maybe pick one of them, maybe Yamamoto, even though he's second line and see what's going to happen. But don't you know hold on if things aren't going well. And as far as Ryan Strom goes, I'm going to say that he, is the poor man's Jordan Eberle from last year. And most people weren't even happy with what they got from Jordan Eberle last year, but at least he had some shots on goal. So that's why I'm not into Ryan Strom at all. Yeah, and I don't even think Strom is as good as Eberle. Sorry to the Oilers fans still listening. So in that case, if he is getting Eberle's deployment, you can expect less than what Eberle... Eberle had a lot of... We've talked about this. Eberle had a lot going against him last year. Uh, Bounces, deployment choices... Strom is going to need to work hard. I have definitely voiced my skepticism around Strom being more than a 50-point player. I'm waiting for him to prove me wrong. However, I would not be that keen on having him in my lineup going into opening night, especially with the latest line situations. If you want to hold out a game or two to see if anything shifts quickly, because it totally can in the first couple games, sure. But otherwise, I feel like there are some equally interesting options available in free agency. Yeah, and also if Strom does get on a line with Connor McDavid, or if anyone on Edmonton gets on that line, again, don't drop, I would say, don't drop someone super reliable for that player because it could change like in a couple of games. Okay, Brian, before we move on to a bunch of rookies on top lines, why don't we take a minute to give some thanks to one of the sponsors of this week's episode, our good friends over at SeatGeek! Seeking the best place to go and buy tickets, and buying tickets to sports and concerts can be so complicated, but... Thankfully, there's a simpler and better way to buy with SeatGeek. They're the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. And with their seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. The season is just about to start. We're all getting excited to watch some hockey games. Why not go over to SeatGeek, see where you can find some good value deals for your home team. Put in an offer code, which we have, by the way. Listeners of Keeping Carlson can put in an offer code, Keeping, K-E-E-P-I-N-G. You know how to spell keeping. You get $20 right away, rebate, off of your first purchase at SeatGeek. So why not go and see, you know, Yarmer Yager play for the Calgary Flames? If you're in Calgary, how could you not want to go see that? So check out SeatGeek, and I think you will be happy you did. I know you'll be happy you did, assuming your team wins. If they don't, you'll at least be happy that you saved $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase with the promo code KEEPING. Okay, so Brian, I wanted to talk about some more rookies that are interesting. So let's start with someone who in the chat room, there's already been some hype here. By the way, we're live thanks to people who join us in the chat room, even on short notice. Anders Bjork has been playing in preseason and in practices on line one on the Bruins with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. You can't get better line mates than that. I guess you can. I guess Nemesnikov playing with 
Uh, Stamkos and Kucherov is pretty good. Okay, okay, you can have similar line mates, but you can't get much better than Bergeron and Marshawn. Also, I've been seeing that Anders Bjork was even playing on the top power play, bumping, I guess, Ryan Spooner from last year. So obviously a lot of potential for production here. Again, I'm not going to say it for every player. I'm going to say it one more time. This could change. Don't go crazy. But for now, I, I don't even think he had like the most amazing preseason in terms of like actual production. But whatever, like it's a great situation. Anyone who plays there for the whole season is going to have probably a fantasy relevant season. So I think you definitely want to take a good hard look at Andres Bjork. Yeah, take a good hard look at him. I have to say, Elon, of this list of rookies that we've got, he's probably the one I have the least faith in, or at least has the, the least pedigree the least expectation, the least background that suggests that he's going to be able to step right in and produce. I've already seen some cooling down on him as we get to the end of the preseason. However, yeah, you're playing with Bergeron, you're playing with Marshawn. By the way, Patrice Bergeron, while we're talking about the Bruins, often, he's like Taylor Hall, always undervalued in fantasy drafts. Like every time I use a tool like Dom's spreadsheet or Fantasy Hockey Geek to figure out a player's value over replacement. Bergeron is always right up there with guys who are going like five, six rounds ahead of him. I had guys in my cupful auction draft go like 50 picks sooner for about 10, 15 more dollars who I had tiered similarly, who I had tiered similarly as Patrice Bergeron. So I, everyone's probably drafted by now, but if not consider him also in like uh, daily fantasy contests. Perhaps he might be good value if the people making the salaries are also undervaluing him. Yeah, the thing with Bergeron is his numbers last year are very misleading. He like had his highest shot totals ever, and he had like a sixty-five point pace like after December, I think, or after January. Like he was really awesome. He just didn't do anything for the first couple of months, so his overall numbers really looked down. But he he was really good last year. I expect him to be really good again. So many shots on goals for league counts that that's obviously really valuable. Yeah, so and just to take it back to Anders Bjork, great opportunities, just about the most I have to say about him. Excited to see what happens. There are worse options, especially in deeper leagues. Uh, you might as well give him a try. But uh, Elon, you can go on with the list and you'll see I am a little more excited about just about everyone else on it. Okay, well then I think I'm pretty sure you're going to be more excited about this next guy because everyone is Clayton Keller. We've been talking about him all summer series. I feel like whenever we've done a prospects episode, he's been the guy that most people have brought up as the maybe leading candidate to win the Calder Trophy. And I mean, he's got the deployment for sure all preseason long. He's playing on line one, power play one with Max Domi, Derek Stepan. He had eight points in four preseason games. Definitely living up to the potential that we were excited about so far. Preseason doesn't count, but he's definitely in a good situation. I don't think he's getting bumped. You know, someone like Andres Bjork. You know, a couple of bad games, I could see him, you know, going to the bottom six. But I think it's going to take a lot more for Clayton Keller to get bumped to the bottom six. So I'm pretty excited about him. I would definitely, he should definitely be owned in all leagues. If he's not owned in your league, I think check him out. But Brian, what's his ceiling for this year? You know, Clayton Keller, I'm sorry to say, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I, he's one of the most hyped rookies in Keevan Carlson's circles. Uh, thanks in large part to Dauber Prospects and past guest host, uh, Dubber Prospects editor and past guest host Cam Robinson, Crazy Joe Devola on Twitter, who has been singing his praises ev- very loudly for at least, it feels like eight months, probably more. Uh, Keller seems like one of the most individually capable players in the rookie class. And when I say that, I mean he's someone who's not merely getting put in a good situation where, hey, maybe he'll succeed. He seems like someone who can actually help create that good that good situation in which he and others can succeed. I'm really, really hopeful there's a big hole 
in Arizona for some events to come up. And yeah, Max Domi is going to be back and healthy. Derek Stepan's there now. It's not looking, even without Keller, it's not looking as dire as it did last year, but Keller helps make it deep enough for actual meaningful production to happen. Arizona's going to be so weird to watch this year. Like between Ranta and their offense, there's just a lot of expectations that could be really great. But if you're really trying to temper yourself and be rational, it's like, eh, maybe it'll be okay. I mean, they can't do much worse than they did last year. So I feel like if you take last year as the floor, which I think is a reasonable thing, they'll be at least a little better. Uh, Brian, I, okay, Jade's asking here, what do you think is the floor ceiling for Keller? Like, who knows? I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll give a shot. I'd say the floor maybe around like 40 points. Like, I feel like he should be able to get a half point per game if he's playing on the top line, top power play all year. And then ceiling... I mean, who knows? Ceiling is tough. Like, I don't know, 55, I think would be pretty amazing for a rookie uh, like Clayton Keller. I guess some people would even be like, Cam would be like, what are you trying, 70, 80? Like, I don't know. And I don't think actually Cam would say that. But you know what I mean? Like, I I would say expect around like 50, 55 with a floor of of 40. Uh, Does that sound right, Brian? Yeah, I think so. I would have definitely gone floor at 40. If I wanted to be like super fantasy upside man, I'd say, well, look at the Leafs rookies last year. It's not the same situation. Austin Matthews is not in this equation, so you can knock off a few points here, and Arizona still might not be quite as deep as the Leafs were last year. But I'm wondering if he can get around what like Marner and Nylander did last year, close to 60 points. Like Ceiling could be 70, 80, 90 points, whatever. It's not that meaningful. If I'm picking a range for him to end up in, I would say 40 to 60, and anything above 50 points would be a successful season for him. Yeah, okay, by the way, since we answered Jade's question, thanks for the question, Jade, and also big shout-out to you, Jade, and also Colin, two people who, in the middle of the couple Tier 1 auction draft on Saturday, you'll be able to hear it if you go and check out that episode, jumped in, didn't even, they were just watching the show, and I was like, could someone here, like, come join this auction and finish the draft for this team? And then she and Colin just, like, jumped in and, and did it and drafted pretty good teams. It was pretty impressive, so... uh yeah, big props to you. Okay, let's keep going, Brian. Another name that we have been hearing a lot about, Alex Debrinkit. So the Hawks, the Blackhawks lines have been kind of all over the place. So for a while, it was looking like it was going to be Debrinkit, Schmaltz, and Patrick Kane on, on I guess, the second line or the first line. I don't know. There's the Taves, Saad, and I guess Richard Panic line that also seemed kind of locked in. But as the Hawks are, are prone to do, they were shaking things up. I don't even know at this point if Debrinkit is even going to be playing with Patrick Kane to start the season. I've been seeing, like, uh, Patrick Sharp and... Uh, like with Patrick Kane and Nisimov, I've also been seeing like Hartman with Schmaltz and Kane. So just, I've seen a bunch, like I was just searching on Twitter for Blackhawks lines and a whole bunch of different combinations came up. But regardless, it looks like Alistair Brinkett has at least made the team, which is something not everyone expected. We'll see if he could last. Maybe it'll be a Yamamoto situation where he could get sent down. But in the meantime, he's made the team and he has the potential to play with Patrick Sharp. Sorry, Patrick Kane. Well, maybe and also Patrick Sharp. Uh, so uh, what do you think about Alex Brinkett? Is he someone that people should be jumping on maybe in comparison with Anders Bjork? Well, the difference between him and Anders Bjork is Anders Bjork is starting the season in a really good position, and anyone going for Debrinkit is going to have to hope that he finds his way into a better position. Debrinkit, right now, well, he started as a long shot in July, and now he's on the opening night roster. He outplayed Vinny Hinestroza to get there, who played significant time with the Hawks last year. I don't love the thought of Debrinkit playing on line three to start the year with Sharpen and Isimov. Like, who's the one driving offense there, but think he could still have the skill and the shot 
to make a splash if and when the lines get shuffled. And it seems from the recent coach quotes from Quenville that I've seen that uh, Dabrinkit is considered as a versatile guy who can move around the lineup as needed. On the whole, I'm more excited about Dabrinkit than I expected to be at this point. I am honestly still a little bruised from past preseason projection experiences with Chicago middle nine prospects. Think of names like Tara Vinen, Nick Schmaltz, Tyler Mott, Tyler Mott, Motti, Mott, Mote. That's how, that's how unimpressive he was. I can't even remember how to pronounce his name at the moment. Those are just a few examples of guys that we watched closely thinking that way that they were well positioned for a breakout and weren't able to come through in Chicago. Of course, maybe the slight difference this year is that they do need those young players to step up and break out more than ever with the thinness of the rest of their lineup. And perhaps they open up a, a spot for Dabrinkit if, if things aren't working, if they're scoring the same way they were uh, in their first round playoff series last year. And of course, that would be a positive thing for him to move elsewhere. Not sure how much damage he can do. Playing with Sharp and Anisimov, neither of whom had great years last year in terms of being able to move the puck up and create offense. Yeah, well, someone here in the chat room, Mike, said Debrinkant and then got a lot of wrath from people in the chat room. So most people are into Debrinkant, not Mike. Maybe should I use my moderator abilities here and kick Mike out of the chat for this? No, no. If anything, you should you should kick out Shadow, who who has the nerve to tell me how Tyler Moat is pronounced. But I actually really appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so one more rookie, and then we'll get to some other players who are rookies, but still looking like they might be in new situations on good lines. But got to bring up Jacob Verana over on Washington. Looks like he's going to be starting the year playing with a couple people you might have heard of. Alex Ovechkin, Geny Kuznetsov. Those are pretty good line mates. That, those compare pretty well with Bergeron and Marchand. I don't know. It would be kind of fun to debate, like, who are the better pair to be with. Uh, so Verana, again, like a guy who... Who knows if he'll stay there? I don't really, I didn't know too much about him going into the year. I know that we were speculating that someone was going to benefit from all of these departures from the Washington top six. And I think both uh, Burakovsky and Verona have. We, I think at some point in the offseason, we're saying like maybe Connolly could be someone to look at. Obviously, that didn't work out. So we could just focus on Verona here. What do you think compared to these other guys? Like, do you see some upside or do you think he's like going to be someone that's going to stick on that line? So like Anders Bjork, you mentioned it yourself, Vrana is in a great situation, but a little more exciting than Bjork's situation based on two things. First, Vrana gets to play with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, hopefully. That's new. That's a new combo with two very exciting players. And hence, that's one exciting thing about Vrana's season about to begin. And the second exciting thing is that we did get to see Vrana for a bit last year. And if you look at his stat line, underwhelming. Three goals, three assists for six points and 32 shots on goal in 21 games. So like a shot and a half per game, a point every three and a half games. But there were glimpses of potential. He had four or more shots on goal on five separate occasions. That's good for Vrana. That's something else that's exciting, which is why I think he's worth a squirt. No, you said it. I said it. Okay. All right, so let's go on to some non-rookies now. This one really jumped out at me. This is a huge opportunity. He may have been drafted in your leagues, but if it's a shallower league, he may have slipped through. Matthew Perot, it was looking like he was going to be in the top six, but maybe on a line with like Little and you know Ehlers, which is good, but you know nothing to like go crazy about. But now I'm seeing that the most recent line combos in Winnipeg have Shifley, Wheeler, and Perot. 
So there's another good combo to play with. Plus, Matthew Perot is someone who's done it before. He's not just some some rookie, not to throw any shade at Verana and Bjork and Debrinket, but like Matthew Perot has been a good fantasy relevant producer for a few years now when he stays healthy at least and now if he can play with Shifley and Wheeler I'm really excited to see what he could do with that opportunity definitely someone that I think people should be looking at and probably adding over everyone else we've talked about if they're available if he's available in your league maybe maybe comparable with Clayton Keller we'll see how long this lasts it's not something that any of us anticipated going into the season but we have seen Matthew Perot be someone who is a great utility player and has a lot of sneaky fantasy value, not just when he does go on point scoring runs as we famously predicted. I don't know. It's too long ago now. Was it, what was it, Elon? Two or three years ago. It was when like, our, we got, yeah, it was like our like second season of doing yeah. everyone who's listening. Doesn't know. We're like at the point now <laughs> we're in our fifth season. Hooray for us. We're at the point now where we were going to make references to previous shows and no one knows what we're talking about. But it was including- our one, it was our, it was a shining glorious moment and we nailed it. And uh, a lot of people think Matthew Perot, if he's not doing that, he's not worth a lot, which isn't true. He still gets regular shots on goal. He still gets a decent stream of points for like a, a depth roster guy. And in a top line position, he's certainly someone who seems capable of keeping up with two excellent players and getting in on points scored on that line. So for sure, I'm not going to say it again. I really wanted to, but I didn't. For sure, worth a try. On your roster. I'm going to say that pretty much about the next seven guys you bring up. That is the conclusion. That's why we're talking about them. Yeah, I mean, this episode, again, this is not an exact regular episode. Like, I'm just telling you guys some options, some players that you should look at. We don't have much to analyze here. We refuse to analyze preseason stats. So we're just going to tell you what looks interesting. Come back next week and we'll start actually analyzing what's going on in games that matter uh, by the way, Mike in the chat so panic time for Ehlers owners. I mean, if Ehlers is playing with Little and Line, I feel like that's pretty good. Patrick Line, I don't think anyone's too concerned about him being able to produce, and I'm sure Ehlers and Little will both do just fine as well. Brian Little also often slept on and underappreciated in fantasy, dra- in fantasy drafts. I've seen many a year happen where he goes undrafted, gets picked up a couple weeks in, and there's no looking back for whoever owns him. He's a great guy to have if you have room on your roster. Definitely consider him. Elon, I don't know. Who would you take between Perot and Little? I would take Little. Yeah, I think me too. Just because Perot seems like someone who could easily be moved anywhere in the top nine just to help the team be a little more stable. One player, uh, one Jets player, whose name is not a part of this conversation, disappointingly for many probably, is Kyle Connor. He he was listed as a potential dark horse Calder candidate going into the season But the latest preseason line combos, which again, don't mean the world to anyone, but they're what we have to go on. They don't have him in a key offensive role, even though if Perot's on the first line, you have to think that there was a role potentially available. Yeah, so who knows? Things could get shaken up. Maybe Kyle Connor is someone that now you don't need to add, but keep on your watch list. If you see something change, maybe you want to jump on him then. By the way, another reason why I would take Little over Perot is I think Little's more likely to get power play time, and that usually leads to more points, and of course, power play points. Uh, Jade is asking in the chat, can you guys talk about some younger, not-quite-rookies too? Fiala, Meyer, Konechny? Jade, like, I know I just gave you some props, but also it's like, we have a show prepared. What are you, what are you doing? But... If you want to ask us that question, we have a patron cast coming oh this gosh. 
this Thursday, and you can ask us any question you want, and we're bound by the rules of PatronCast to answer any question you give us. I'm sure you'll be there, or you could post the question in the Facebook group, or you know, send us to us by email, and then we'll answer it then. And so why don't we take this opportunity, Brian, to just say that if anyone else wants to join us for our PatronCast, they can become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Any patron gets to join our patron cast, our weekly mailbag shows, a ton of extra content. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. Check it out for all of the details. We just had a mailbag show last week with Peter Harling from Dumber Prospects, and we talked all about prospects. It was it was such a great show. You could get that show. Just Shameless. Because- Shameless. I'm cutting in. Shameless. The point has been made. Uh, KeepingCarlson.com. So, no, anyway. Uh, slash patron. After that chastising, we might as Jade. We're getting Fiala's going to come up uh, as a as collateral uh, towards the end of the show. And Meyer, how disappointing that he. Well, last time I looked, I admit I haven't looked for a few days. Was not looking to be slated into a top six spot in San Jose to start the year. It seemed like it was his spot to lose. Either we were wrong, or he really did just lose it. But I do think, like he's like Verona. We saw some. Big shot-taking potential from him last year. Plus, he, I believe he, he threw some hits in the mix as well. So still a guy to keep an eye on, depending on his spot in, in the depth chart. Unfortunately, if you're not on the top line with the Joes in San Jose, um, like second line's okay to be, but there really isn't a lot of other places to, to have meaningful production. You just look at a guy like Thomas Hurdle, who is a fairly talented player and still is just middling in terms of his fantasy relevance. Honestly, also, it's like old news that being on the line with the Joes is like something good. Like last year, there were like a bunch of people who took turns playing with the Joes and none of them really did anything. Currently, I think LeBanc has been the one sitting there. I'm sure it won't last. I'm sure he won't do anything. I'm not too excited about the Joes. I mean, Joe Thornton went for a dollar in both of our auction drafts. It's not as if Joe Thornton is someone that people are expecting to break up for 82 points again. So anyway, Pavelski's good. Let's go now to some more players. I wanted to go now to a guy. Okay, this is my favorite sleeper of the list and someone who I know you hate, but I bullied you into letting us take him as our last pick in our joint league draft yesterday. I'm talking about Brendan Gallagher, who uh, out of nowhere, I guess, I guess it's been a little while. I know you were excited at some point that Al Shemsky was the guy playing with Druin and Pacioretty. And you even said it in the Facebook group. And I was like, Brian, what are you talking? That's not going to last. I was right. I mean, who knows? The season hasn't actually started yet. Maybe I'll turn out to be wrong, but lately it's been Brendan Gallagher playing with, Pacioretty and Druin on the first line. Gallagher's already someone we used to really like as a big shot taker and like an impact player. And then obviously he kind of fell out of favor. It was really frustrating seeing him fall all over the lineup. But if he's on the top line, also I've been seeing him on the top power play. Brendan Gallagher, mwah, what a steal as the last pick in the draft. Someone who could give you a ton of shots, potentially a ton of points. Great situation. Hopefully it'll last. And then the corollary for that, I love watching Brian roll his eyes at me <laughs> as I talk, just like when I was promoting the patron program at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But yeah, another but yeah, on the other side, with uh, Gallagher being in that great situation, Alex Galchenyuk, I think he's my favorite snoozer of the year so far before the season has started. Like, I saw he was playing like the third line at some point during preseason. It seems like the Habs have no interest in giving Galchenyuk a meaningful chance to produce, at least fantasy-wise. Potentially this, potentially that. That's how you talk about Gallagher. Yeah, lots of guys in the league, potentially. But he's been buried for a while in Montreal. He had... Poor deployment last year. Who? Sure, maybe you're talking about yeah. Gallagher or Galchenyuk? Yeah. Gallagher. You can say and both. Galchenyuk. He's getting. <laughs> I I could be talking about either one, and I they both have the same potentially disclaimer on their name. You can try and grab them. I don't think you need to reach for Gallagher 
at the moment. If he does stick in in a big role, anyone who's been paying attention for the last couple of years should be cynical enough to not want to jump on him right away and to have him remain available with enough time for you to want to run and get him if there is some ray of sunshine in his numbers. Galchenyuk is just, you know, Montreal just seems like the place where players go to get disrespected. I remember Alex Semin. No, I no, don't, no response. I don't even with that. Like every, only you <laughs> thought he'd be good. And now I, they're going they're to talk- end Alex Hemsky's career the same way. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex Hemsky has this like shining career going at this point, and the Habs <laughs> are going to snuff it out. Uh, I'm sure they're not going to disrespect Druin, by the way. It seems like he's a lock for a top line, top power play. By the way, Brian, you know, I feel like you have a bit of a short memory, just like with Alex Steen. It was just two seasons ago that Gallagher had 40 points in 53 games. Let's do the math there. 40 uh, divided by 53 <laughs> times 82. That's a 62-point pace. That's a very valuable play. That's just two years ago. That's not like Alex Hemsky, how he was like really good back in 2010. This is a couple years ago. Last year, Gallagher got bad deployment. Obviously, it disappointed me as one of his owners. Then he had a hand injury. I think it was like something weird, like like he injured one hand and then the other hand. So I don't think he's actually injury prone. He's like slashed in the hand. Now he's back. He's healthy. He's playing on the top line. He used to be really good. You used. To, I'm, I'll bet you I can find clips of old Keeping Carlson episodes with you saying Gallagher is someone to watch. Uh, I think you're wrong. I think if you're telling people that they don't have to add him, someone else is going to add him and then they're going to regret it. Just that's my call. Part of what you're hearing from me is is me having held a candle for Gallagher for a little while and saying, well, he'll still get you shots, which he will. And he'll still get you hits, which he will. It's almost like a Landis Gog situation at the moment. Except I might have a little more faith in Gallagher. I'm not sure. And and you're mentioning Gallagher's recent. Yeah, he has been good recently. You also need to consider that Alashensky, it's only four years ago that he had 17 points in 20 games after being traded to Ottawa, a 70-point pace. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to the next player I wanted to talk about. How about Sean Couturier centering Giroux and Voracek over in Philly? That's interesting for two reasons. First of all, Sean Couturier, someone who's always sort of been like middle six center, not getting the best line mate, someone that seems talented, but, you know, I guess getting deployed more in a defensive capacity. All of a sudden, that's like the top place to be playing with Giroux and Voracek. So that's good for him. Maybe take a look at him. And then also Claude Giroux being on the left wing. That means he could get left-wing eligibility, which really raises his fantasy value. If all of a sudden you could get a multi-category eligible, sorry, multi-position eligible Claude Giroux. So two interesting guys there that I think we should at least touch on. Giroux, someone else, I, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, getting disrespected in fantasy drafts. People are nervous. He was a top like two-round pick last season and has been for the last, I don't know, six, seven years maybe. And then one off-season that was, uh, it's a pattern of decline, yes, but the reasons for that decline, still unclear. I don't think it's all age or injury. You know, I, you know so much that I always say you know uh, about my, my thoughts on the Flyers. So I'm hoping the Flyers have fixed things up for Giroux. Him getting winger eligibility certainly adds to his value in fantasy leagues. And Couturier, I suppose you can hope that he becomes the new Shen and plays that complementary role really well getting power play time and being on the top line here and there. Remember the Flyers have never really kept someone consistently in that top line spot for a little while now. And so I wouldn't get too excited about Couturier on that basis. Remember when he came into the league, there was a lot of 
thinking that he would have that offensive flair and hype. And then, yeah, he proved himself as a more defensively capable person. And I'm still wondering if that's what his job is going to be, even if he is playing with some great players. It's not a given that that means putting up points. I can name you like uh, Michael Roffle off the top of my head, had significant time on the top line uh, over a couple of years and was not able to ever do anything about it. And that's why I'm still not getting too excited about Couturier, but maybe this is enough to push him up to a more reasonable bet for 50 points. Yeah, I feel like with Couturier, and hey, I'll admit he's a free agent in my cupful tier two Ottawa league. And I did I had the opportunity to pick him up today and I didn't. So here's a free gift to my competitors. You could take him. Like, so I'm not saying he's a sure thing to get a lot of points and they could also shift things around. I mean, Giroux hasn't played left wing from what I recall in a long time. So maybe that's something that they won't stick with. But uh, put him on your watch list and let's see what happens. Uh, okay, let's talk about Jason Pominville. Brian, I know as soon as he got traded to Buffalo from Minnesota, you were excited about Jason Pominville returning to his home where he used to be so fantasy relevant. And he actually had a good run even last year. So Pominville isn't dead. And now he's looking especially nice because he was playing for a lot of the preseason with Patrick, sorry, no, with Evander Kane and Jack Eichel. So that's good for Evander Kane too, by the way. But also, I mean, Pominville, someone who's probably not drafted in your league, someone in free agency, he is still someone who's clearly capable of putting up some points. He did it last year. He's, you know, he's kind of older by playing with Jack Eichel. That might be the youth, uh, I don't know, serum that could help him stay a little younger. I don't know. I think Jason Pomville, another guy to maybe uh, put on your watch list. If you don't mind me recycling a bit about Pominville from, I think it was episode 156 that I'm trying to, uh, to pull up right now as I speak. Oh, no, it wasn't. So that means I'm without something to say. But I I did go on about why I think he was underappreciated last year, not by fantasy poolies, like he he got the treatment he deserved. But I think he could have done better than what he put up in terms of his percentages, still trying to hunt down the actual spiel that, yeah, he saw only 11 minutes when he was playing in Minnesota, and he kept his rate stats half-decent, While he did that, so more substantial time in the top six is going to help if he gets that. Like, I like him to hit 50 points this year, upside for 55. Yeah, that's really good. If your league if your league is deep, that could be good for him. All of this little fumbling around, that's what you can get by normally joining us for the live show. You're getting a little <laughs> taste of it here with an unedited show. Right, maybe I don't even need tweeted us at Keeping Carl. Let us know if I could just stop editing every week. Maybe I could save myself no. a lot of time. No, I, I already think you can't, because I, I wish I had a moment to to really pull it up. Because I said his numbers were half decent last year in limited ice time. They were actually top six forward numbers. Still, his rate stats. He had great points per 60 numbers. Uh, Other percentages looked pretty reasonable. Just needed more time. And it was a bounce back from the season before. So, yes, I'm all aboard Jason Pominville and the top six. Although, like, I'm still concerned because Buffalo Sabres seem to somehow disappoint every year. Kyle Ocposo is a good example of that. When he moved there, I, I felt reasonably confident that he could still produce at least 60 points away from Tavares. And that's just not what we've gotten. And we've gotten injuries along the way too. And not just like the hospital incident that happened at the end of last season. That's totally separate. And I certainly don't begrudge him for any of it. What am I saying, Elon? Buffalo Sabres, look out for them. I'm a little nervous about them. But Jason Pominville certainly seems like a good depth option. Yeah. 
So put him on your watch list. Check him out. Let's see how he does. And Buffalo overall could be better. Like they got Scandella also in that deal from Minnesota. Leonard could be good. Like Leonard is someone who's probably you're going to be able to get pretty late in your draft as far as starting goalies go. So people to watch. I think Leonard and like anti-Ranta I'd have in a similar, like I'm excited to see what both of them could do next year. Okay. Uh, Nemesnikov. I already mentioned this. Nemesnikov has been playing with Stamkos and Kucherov. At some point, Braden Point was there. Now it's Nemesnikov. So who knows? Like, Star Nemesnikov, let's see what happens in the first game. That's a really good situation to be in, whoever's playing on that top line. Uh, the other lines on Tampa Bay were looking kind of weird the last I saw. Like, Killorn with Tyler Johnson and Callahan, and then Yanni Gourd with Braden Point and Palat. So splitting up Palat and Johnson. It seems like it just hurts everyone's fantasy value, basically, in Tampa, except for Nemesnikov if it stays like this. Yeah, anyone who grabbed Braden Point... I still think he can do well. It's really weird. I think it's I think it's a waste to have Tyler Johnson playing with Callahan and Killorn. It seems it seems like a waste of Tyler Johnson. Although Killorn's pretty good. Maybe maybe that's a good pairing. I feel like Callahan is just like the poison pill for any NHL line that has a hope of scoring. Uh, you're right. It would be bad news for everyone except Nemesnikov if those lines held. And anyone who did take Braden Point with a late round pick. You might want to look at some of the other options we've mentioned this episode if his deployment situation doesn't improve quickly. Yeah, I'd swap point for Jason Pominville, I think, in a one-year league. Uh, okay, uh, next, Brian, I saw you read an article today. You sent me some reading to do about Zach Hyman playing with Matthews and Nylander. It was an article from The Athletic, and you were saying how maybe Hyman could be underrated and can surprise people. That's another Number three on a pair of like really good players, Matthew, especially Austin Matthews and Nylander, no slouch himself. Do you think Zach Hyman is someone that people should look to add or, or at least watch? Definitely watch. He was on my watch list for a lot of time last season because, well, he is. I, I said Michael Furland was the most anonymous, was the most anonymous th- first line player in the NHL. I, I challenge, by the way, anyone listening who tweeted us with a more anonymous first liner. Zach Hyman might be the second most as someone who is just totally overshadowed and forgotten about playing with Matthews and Nylander. Just being on the ice with them should help. Look, percentages weren't in his favor last year. And the article I read by James Myrtle over at The Athletic went into detail about how often someone who shot as low as he did, I, I the number offhand, somewhere around four and a half, five percent how often that repeats. And the answer was not that often guys like Tyler Kennedy's the classic example and, and some other enforcer types who are out of the league. Now it's rare that it stays that low. Uh, someone shooting percentage, especially for someone as illustrated by Myrtle in the article who gets so many opportunities from up close in front of the net. That's where he's getting his shots. That's where he's, he's spending his time in the offensive zone. He's also considered a pretty good four checker. I don't have the data to know if that's true or not. I've watched a couple times. He seems tenacious at times, but haven't, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I have enough evidence to really back up that claim one way or the other. But he's on the top line. If you're into Michael Furland for some reason, I, I guess a lot, a lot of people are, so that's not the greatest endorsement. But Zach Hyman could be someone who is just destined to score more than he did last year, just by virtue of percentages favoring him a little more alone and being a guy who can continue generating chances from in front with, again, two very talented line mates. Cannot emphasize that enough. 
Yeah, so I guess this episode is all about telling you people to add to your watch list. And let's throw one more onto the pile. How about Scott Hartnell? I saw some rumors. I'll bet you a lot of people listening don't even know what team Scott Hartnell's on this year. I'll tell you, it's the Nashville Predators. And apparently he has been seen playing with Forsberg and Johansson on the top line over there, which would be horrible for Arvidsson, I would think, because that seemed like Arvidsson's locked in spot and he was so good. So I'm not too, like, I'm actually not too concerned about this. I just have a feeling, like a gut feeling that, Scott Hartnell, he of what, like 38 points last year, which I guess isn't so bad over in Columbus. But, you know, he was such a disappointment last year. I know he was also a disappointment in terms of like hits and pims. Like he was down in all the categories that people used to think he was so valuable for that he could get points and those peripherals. Last year, he did nothing. Obviously, if he's on the top line with Forsberg and Johansson, that'd be good. Do you think there's a chance that that lasts? And also, I heard Kevin Fiala was a guy who could potentially take that top line spot. So what's going on in Nashville? Are they just going to keep auditioning a few people before they decide to just, uh, let's just give it back to Arvidsson because he's the best? It was this time last year where we were saying, who's going to fill in on the top line with Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg? And we settled on Victor Arvidsson. It was great. It was wonderful. It happened. It wasn't necessarily set in stone from the start, but it's who we we sort of hoped for and anticipated. This year, I'm not going to try and make that attempt to guess i feel like it's crazy to think that scott hardinal could survive in a first line top power play role all season long he was not really well deployed by john tortorella as his tenure in columbus ended and there is the feeling that he still has something more to give than what he was offered last year but the fact remains he's an older guy it's been a while since he's had meaningful production and Kevin Fiala is certainly pushing for that position too. Some of it also depends on like how long do you really think Nashville is going to keep Arvidsson, Johansson, and Forsberg apart? Are they really going to commit to spreading out that offense by only having two of those guys play together? Still unsure. Lots up in the air, which is why it's going to be so great to have two weeks of, well, one week, but I usually make my decisions after two weeks of hockey to be played. It's coming. Oh my gosh. Yeah, very exciting. Okay, and I'm very excited, of course, to do our next episode, which, by the way, programming note, won't be on Sunday. It's a long weekend next weekend, so we'll be doing our next show on Monday night at 8 p.m., where we'll break down everything that's happened in the first, I guess, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, we're going to have like five days of actual hockey stats to talk about. I'm very excited. Okay, one more player before we end the show. Uh, this guy's not available for you unless you haven't drafted yet, in which case he is. Brian, like, how high should people be on Jake Gensel? He destroyed the preseason I'm going to reference preseason numbers again because they're so noteworthy. Nine points in four games. He was playing with Crosby and Sheary, just like we hoped he would. He was playing on the top power play because Hornquist was injured. Hornquist might be coming back soon, so we'll have to see what happens there. Maybe Gensel earned that spot. I know we generally don't like to get so super excited about guys like this. Like, you know, like I would think, oh, Taylor Hall or Jake Gensel, I feel like such a Brian answer would be, you know, Taylor Hall is like a pretty sure 65-point guy, lots of shots. Like Gensel could get 65 points, but why not go for the more sure thing? But just something inside of me says, maybe Jake Gensel, like everything just looks so perfect. So maybe you just need to, you know, throw some cold water on me or something and calm me down. I feel like I'm too excited about this guy. I'm not going to. Things looked pretty perfect last year also. I don't want to be the guy. Everybody loves Jake Gensel. Don't make me be the guy who's going to say don't draft Jake Gensel. All right, then. uh, (laughs) That's my Jake Gensel. And I know you're waiting for more. Honestly, the sky seems to be the limit. If he plays with Crosby, why not expect more than 70 points? That there is an if in that sentence. That's a very important if. But if you shoot for the moon, even if you miss, 
you'll still land among the stars unless you miss out on Taylor Hall. <laughs> so yeah, someone in the chat earlier asked if Debrinket could be the new Panarin. And, you know, I guess that would make sense playing with Patrick Kane, but I think Gensel could be the new Panarin. Like come in, you know, high pedigree, like Gensel actually played a bit last season. Panarin, you know, had just come from the KHL, but like coming in to a great line and everyone thought, well, there's no way Panarin's gonna get like 70 plus points. And he did. So maybe Gensel can too. We'll see. All right. That's going to do it for our last episode of the preseason of the summer series. It's all over, Brian. One week from today. Thank goodness. And and we're going to celebrate. Elon, I'm just going to remind people because it, it, it ran in the pre-roll. But we, we have a new sponsor called FanDuel. You may have heard of them. And we're going to have a daily fantasy competition every week, once a week. Uh, all you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash K-A-R-L, or if you prefer, KeepingCarlson.com slash FanDuel. They'll take you to the same place. Sign up. Compete against Elon and I. The contest opens on Wednesday. That's when you can start setting your lineups. And then it actually runs on Thursday. And Elon, you get a deposit bonus too if you want to play a little more on FanDuel outside of that that short, small, tiny competition. Yeah. And, uh, you know, make sure to sign up from that link, keepingcarlson.com slash FanDuel, so you get that sign-up bonus. Okay, Brian, uh, so yeah, let's run down all the things. We've got the party coming a week from Saturday. So that's October 14th at Watson's in Toronto. We'd love to meet you, hang out with some of our listeners, watch the Habs play the Leafs. Brian says that you get to either cheer for both of them like me or none of them like him or maybe somewhere in between. Uh, We've got... That's Oh yeah, I wanted to say again, we've got the PatronCast coming this Thursday. So for all the patrons, definitely make sure to tune in for that. If you're not a patron, you still can be. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. And I think that will do it. So why don't we play our outro music? And Brian, go ahead and read us the credits. Sure. I'll also remind people, if you're craving more content, remember what Elon mentioned at the top of the show, you can find our bumbling but exciting and sometimes interesting live draft over at KeepingCarlson.com slash live draft and then you can get the results for it at keepingcarlson.com slash draft results and of course i'm speaking about the first tier the top tier the winner the tier of which the winner will be the ultimate champion of the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league you can find out you can hear about it anyway uh no brian Good point. And also, it wasn't like all bumbling. Like, it's not like a complete disaster. It's like four hours long. <laughs> Maybe there's like 30 minutes of bumbling. But there's also a lot of really great analysis. I want to thank again Jeff Good for joining us. He gave some really great insight into auction draft strategies. And, you know, it was really interesting watching the dynamics of the draft and how, you know, at first there was really high bids. Then you, there were some good discounts and then it went high. It was like really interesting to follow along. Also, we Brian was chiming in and a bunch of the other participants. Brian, you know, freaking out as he always does. It was a lot of fun. Anyways, I don't want to give any more spoilers. So you can check that out. Brian, let's cue that outro music. Did I cue the outro music before? I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see when I edit that part, at least, to put in music. (laughs) We'll see if I put it in there or if I'm going to put it now. But yeah, let's cue it. Read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Pontus L, Josh S, Aaron S, Rasmus F, Mitch U, Paul T, Tyler H, Brandon L, Aaron K, Brian H, and Chris. This show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Welcome Back, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Leap Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job, as always. Looking forward to doing this all again every week, starting next week, Monday. Remember, 8 p.m. You can always join us at KeepingCarlson.com slash live. See you then.
Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sign.